And instead, what we're doing is saying, we have progress in criminal justice reform. We've had progress in policing. We've had progress. And this is not just conservatives that are doing this. Progressives are doing this too in their own way, right? Like, let's have a conversation about how horrible the systems are and disproportionate representation over here. And no one's willing, and this is my cry, to have a conversation about the problem of the human heart or the problem that's in the human heart in the context of the potential of the human heart to not feel it, but we are to actually take responsibility for what's there. That I'm not hearing. That conversation hasn't happened before. So when I'm talking to people, I ask them, I said, where are you in the story? Where is your heart? Where is the seed of this in you? It's in me. Is it not in you? Welcome to the Lucas Scrobot Show. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, relentlessly pursue truth, and own the future. Today, we are joined by Brandon Polk, who works for a number of organizations in DC, working to bridge the racial divide in America and to bring health, wholeness, and healing to minorities and racial groups in the United States. Brandon has been on the show three or four times prior to this. We just sat down maybe a month and a half ago talking about the Arbery killings. And this is, uh, if, if you've heard Brandon before, you know that he's very apolitical. He thinks for himself. He doesn't sit on, on one side of the party line. And, and this comes out in this episode. And I really encourage you to listen, especially to, to the end of the episode, where, where Brandon, after answering so many hard questions, after dialoguing and, and sifting through the, the issues that are happening not only in America – but across the globe in, in regarding to, to racial divides and prejudices and biases, Brandon gets to the, the, core, the core heart of the matter and the heart of humanity and the things that, that – what's what people are really crying out for from a deep place within them. And I think that people are, are crying out for across the globe. And so – I, I really hope that you take the time to listen to this Im important conversation where it's Brandon isn't making some politically heated, biased argument, but he's cutting through all of that to say this, this is the solution that both sides need to focus on, that both sides need to come to. And it's not about a, a political agenda, but it's about the human heart. So here's the episode. How are you doing? You know, I'm making it. It's been a crazy few weeks and uh, I feel like this is the, this is the thing we do. <laughs> we talk about race relations in America and apparently around the world. So, <laughs> or apparently the world is talking about American race relations. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel like, how are you doing on like a personal level? I am, um, a lot of things have changed for me since the last time we talked, even we talked about the Arbery thing. That was sort of the beginning yeah. of, um, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the change is. I'm not even sure if it's worth figuring out except just leaning into and living. But the balance between leading and grieving is what I've come mm. to at this point. So I need more time to grieve. Um, since the Floyd video came out, I haven't slept very well. Yeah. Um, 
really when the Arbery video came out, I didn't sleep very well during that either. But <clears throat> I think the deluge of things uh, some somehow, you know, I just have not uh, fully recovered. And I don't even know if I'm not unhealthy. I feel very healthy. I feel purposeful and everything. I feel like I have a North star that I'm being led to in all of this. So I feel like I'm personally, maybe just this was the moment, mm-hmm. you know, is a moment to lean into. And for so many of us, it's the, it's, it's what we've been made for, you know, and, and, and that's complicated. I don't, or it's, it's complex, not complicated as much, but it's complex. I don't necessarily mean to be a voice for or against race relations, you know, but it is to be for healing mm. a collective social healing and to be speaking uh, as an advocate for dignity, for, for the dignity of all people. Yeah. That this is the moment for that. It's a moment for that, you know, that we should lean into yes. and we are perhaps ready enough. I feel like I'm just ready enough, maybe, mm. <laughs> you know, to be one of those voices at the moment. And so that presents its own burden. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just, um, just want to yeah. say, as you know, when my wife and I, we saw that video, we were just, wife's in tears. I'm in tears. And I just want to say, just as a friend, like I haven't slept well and uh, I'm not even in it. I'm not even close to it. It's not even like hard, like really relevant to to my life. So I just have so much uh, love for you as a friend, a brother and man. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. You know, I've been, <clears throat> you know, it's, 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 it's interesting as I've said to, we can talk about this, you know, in certain contexts, you know, about, uh, some of the groups that we've run with over the years. And I just go like, oh man, you know, this conversation has been grossly inadequate over the years, <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh, and that's okay. Cause now we're having the conversation and it is bringing up things, you know, uh, it is uncomfortable for, um, everyone, um, to, to like, no one really knows how to navigate through this conversation, you yeah. know? Yeah. And <clears throat> mind you, we've had 400 years to have it, <clears throat> you know? So, um, and that's just to speak to <laughs> how insecure we can be as humans, you know, and how controlling we can be out of fear. Yeah. And um, if, if we can avoid, we will avoid. <laughs> certain things and how powerful how powerful is it that we could avoid this mm. you know and avoid it so strongly you know regardless of where people are at in their opinions about it yeah we have avoided this conversation and we have avoided etiquette growing into a conversational etiquette a mm. relational etiquette on how to navigate through differences We've avoided it, you know, so we don't challenge ourselves on this. Now we have no choice, <laughs> you know, what well, we do, because we can still go to the extremes. The jury's still out on what will actually happen. Right. You know, right. We're seeing the, the extremes play out, but I'm looking for the healers now. I'm like, where are the people that are going to be committed to that kind of m- movement of, of, of healing and the shaping of history? Mm. 
those are the people I'm looking for right now to empower who are willing to go into the darkest places and bring their light. And we can split hairs a million days from 20, you know, uh, on whatever that, I don't even know what I mean when I say that we can split hairs is what I'm saying. A million days from 20, but that's how ridiculous it is. Right. And I don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's like, uh, you know, we, we could get into the conversations back and forth that people are going to have different opinions and they're going to have reasons to substantiate why they feel what they feel. And, um, but we're still in that place where we're offended. So someone says something I don't agree with. We go right to the tribe that we belong to and that's where we stay. Mm. We're, we're still doing that. And this situation hasn't proven that we're going to be any different on that right now. Correct. Um, Correct. I actually think we're going to be more polarized when we come out of it. But I also think that, that, that there are some Phoenix risings happening mm. and believe it or not, I'm the most, I, I said this, um, to a group I spoke to yesterday. I said, I, uh, I'm the most optimistic probably. I'm, I'm, I'm the most fired up that I've been in a really long time, but spiritually like on the inside, um, sort of returning, you know, I feel like I, I, I feel like I had maybe one of, I don't know, I hope this isn't the only moment I get like this in, in my life, but I feel like I had the, I had a Kingian moment as in a Martin Luther King Jr. moment mm. where I looked over the mountain and I saw the promised land. Come on. And I was like, oh, I see. Oh, I get it. Um, we have we have hope for a future in this um and it seems like when it's all said and done our opportunity is to see people changed mm. and healed and um revival <laughs> there's one happening yeah yeah <laughs> Certain people just thought that 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 the awakening was going to be for them, like we thought the awakening was for us, mm. you know, and we thought Pentecost was for us, and so it's an awakening in the in 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 the negative, in a sense. Well, it's a shaking, but it reveals, right? What's that? It's a shaking. It's it is it is a shaking with an awakening in people's hearts because right. otherwise, why do you go? You just stay at home. Well, how else do you wake up if you're not shooken, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's entirely right. And that's exactly what happened. And I've likened it. I mean, this is the, this is the moment. And this is different because when, 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 when the Arbery tape came out, that was visual. Mm-hmm. We could see it. It was still fuzzy. Brianna Taylor, we didn't have footage of. We had the footage of the woman in Central Park in New York saying to the black man, his name's yep. Chris, his last name, yeah, weaponizing, you know, saying, I'm going to call the police and tell them that a black man is threatening my life. And then she becomes hysterical, you know, and trying to make it seem more tragic or serious than it actually, you know, is. Right. In order to bring a heightened sense of alarm. And... Uh, but but this this thing with George Floyd uh, brought me back to 1955 Emmett Till 
Um, and you can, you know, for, for anyone, you know, that if you put this in, you know, uh, research on Emmett Till, horrible story, teenager, black teenager visiting money, Mississippi from Chicago to see his grandparents goes into a corner store, some sort of market whistles at a white woman, right? He doesn't know the rules. He's from Chicago, right? All of his cousins are sitting around going, you don't whistle at a white woman down here. They'll kill you for that. You know? And sure enough, two 30 in the morning, it's two white guys come to the house where the black folks are. The teenager is sleeping up upstairs and they say, bring him down here two 30 in the morning. Gosh, pick him up, strap a 70 pound cotton gin fan to him, beat him senseless. You know, his eyes are falling out of, out of his socket. His nose has been maimed, sort of like chopped up. It's whatever they've done to him. And his genitals have been cut off, you know, or maimed or, or, or something's happened. I mean, they literally did a number on him and he dies. And something in his mother, Emmett's mom says, we're going to have an open casket. We want, we need the whole world to see what, mm. what's really going on. Mm. And those images were the light to the match in an already flammable environment, right? This is what I think the George Floyd moment is. Take everyone's opinions out of it for a second. Yep. The image and the video, nine minutes, yep. knee on the neck, yeah. listening to him gasp for air, cry out for help. And the people were not in sort of a bystander situation where they weren't trying to help. The people were trying to help him. And the police were stopping them from helping, right? Um, there aren't enough <laughs> marbles in the trust jar <laughs> with the police in America right now. <laughs> this is what's going on. You know, there are a lot. It's mostly great police officers out there, but this is the history, right? 1955 history, right? And even before that, right, of state-sanctioned atrocities, right? The, the two guys, you know, that murdered Emmett Till got off. They were acquitted you know, by a jury of their peers in Mississippi, of course. Mm. And um, it wasn't until, um, you know, literally just a few years ago uh, that the white woman who accused Emmett Till recanted her story. And she's like 70 something years old or whatnot, family, kids, grandkids, right? She lived a, she lived a wonderful life. Um, this is why people are rioting in the streets in America right now, not because it makes sense, not because it's rational and not because it's not inappropriate. It's very inappropriate, right? Violence is inappropriate. Looting is inappropriate. Let's be perfectly clear. That mm -hmm. is the case. Yeah. What does it take for people to do that to themselves though? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. So anyway, so I think that this is what the George Floyd moment was. It was a light <clears throat> to imagine an already flammable environment. And it's making people feel very uncomfortable and um, challenging whether or not we have the character for forgiveness. Uh, we will. Um, but I don't think it's going to be tomorrow. I, I don't think that these... Uh, protests are going to end with forgiveness. I think it's, I think that our opportunity is, is maybe we end up with more conversations and relationship building 
and we begin to socialize ourselves to the experiences that each other is having across differences, across lines of deep difference. Um, but I, I, I think that most people are going to end up being more divided, you know, in, in the short term, but yeah. the long term, I think is going to be more restorative. What's the process that you see taking place? You know, right now, everything is still quite chaotic. Um, what's, what's the process that you see, you know, if, if, if you, you know, looked with your eyes of, of hope and faith in the coming days, weeks, and months, like what would you, what would you see happen? What would you hope to happen? Right now, I want, I mean, the first thing is you want peaceful protests, right? That's really what I want. I don't, I mean, these things are so flammable mm. and depending on what happens relationally between the community and the police in the context of these gatherings um, and what happens at the highest levels of leadership in the country right now. Here's, and so, so I think that that's one, I, I, I want peaceful protest, right? But I, but I want peaceful protest on principle, right? So, or, or I'll say the principled peaceful protest is what I want, right? Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I say it that way because sometimes <laughs> there's a, there's a place for, for principled, <laughs> um, non-peaceful, right? Not necessarily violent, but I mean, non-peaceful protest. You see what I'm saying? Like principled but it doesn't need to be peaceful all the time. Sometimes peaceful is not the way to go. You see what I'm saying? Well, like I, I, it depends how you. I guess it depends how you're defining peaceful. If you mean like loud and shouting, then yeah, right. And some people would define peaceful as just quiet, sedated, right? Just go out there, do your thing. And I mean, and sometimes, and I don't, and I mean that's I'm for nonviolent protest, right? Um, but the rage, sometimes I think, I, I think sometimes that just needs to be expressed, you know, the anger, frustration, those things need to be expressed. Um, so I'm for principled expression, I guess is the point, principled free expression. And so when, when, you Next know, this whole, hope yeah. you don't mind I ask, you know, when you, when you say, you know, that rage needs to come out. Are you, are you saying like, okay, people can be loud, people can yell, people can shout, but anything that's violating the law is violating the law? Or are you saying, mm, we, can, we can fudge justice on this one because people are hurting and upset? Yeah, well, it's hard to say. I mean, if you look at, and I'm not going to be one to judge history, of course, at this point. I mean, I, I, I think that we can on, on, to, to some degree, but there have been moments where that you know, throughout history where peaceful protest was not the thing to do. And I don't think that we can make a snap judgment, you know, in, in the moment that we're living in today and say that tomorrow is going to warrant, you know, some sort of, um, you know, um, change in the approach for gaining or garnering justice, quote unquote, whatever that means. And, and and I and I basically say it this way. I, I my, my my hope is always, of course, that there wouldn't be any violent protest. I want people to express their emotions in a way that is con that is constructive, that is conducive to restoration, reconciliation. Um, but moral reasoning, right, and theories of moral reasoning, right, get really confusing, right? It's the picture of like 
if if you were in a trolley and there is someone in the path of the trolley, um, you've got 10 people on the trolley, someone is on the track, and you can save the one person. But that's not, by what, turning but that's not what this is, is it? No, it is not. But, but, but what I'm saying is that we don't understand what the decisions will be that will need to be made given the circumstances that we're in right now. And so I can hope but I can't tell you how to resp- how we'll respond to what we don't know is happening yet. This is uncharted territory. So, um, and I won't, and I can't judge the the rightness or the wrongness of people's decisions to protest. Um, however, that comes out, um, given what I don't know, right? I'll always be an advocate for nonviolence, but that doesn't mean that that won't be complicated at certain points, you know. I think that being on principle about it is one thing, and I'll always be on. <clears throat> I'll always be on principle about it for my own hopes. You know that things are just not 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 violent, but but something about that will be complex for me, given the the history of what's gone on in this country, where violence and the and, and the shedding of innocent blood, you know, has happened for hundreds of years, and then we demand you know that there's peaceful, nonviolent protest. You see what I'm saying? It's like it's it is a question of like what is most moral and who is leading that morality? Who 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 are the uh, the the folks who are demonstrating and modeling that etiquette? Well, I don't know those leaders. They don't exist right now. And then we demand that people have some sort of knowledge and understanding about what it means to be nonviolent. We have leaders of all of, that are on the whole spectrum right now, right? It's 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 the extremists, right? You know, let's just say that they're principled extremists. <laughs> Interesting, right? Because what if they have some points that you can build an extremist argument on, some valid points, and then they take it and they manipulate and make an extremist argument and radicalize people? Doesn't mean that their initial argument wasn't principled. That's how people manipulate and control. That's how people radicalize. That's how people are radicalized. You take a valid point, right? And you manipulate the emotions of vulnerable people right? That are emotional and insecure and disconnected, you know? Do you feel like in some ways that, that, I mean, and I've heard this um, from multiple sources that in some ways that is what's really happening in this, that there, you know, I'm, when I, I have, you know, I think a week ago I asked, I said, Hey, you know, do you want to, would you be willing to sit down and talk about this? And, and a week ago, it was a very, very different world than we were in today. I thought it was going to be a very different conversation than we're having today. And then as, as the week has progressed, um, I have just been nonstop reading, reading, you know, researching, trying to develop an opinion, trying to develop, um, you know, uh, not just an opinion, but okay, where, where's the heart of God in this? Where, where do I stand in this as, um, an individual? Where do I stand uh, on this on as a, a follower of Jesus? Where do I stand on this when I'm talking to my African-American cousins, to my African-American best friend, you know, we were neighbors growing up three African-American cousins, so, you know, how do I, how do I relate to these, you know, even you, a very close friend? Um, and, and then the complexities of how do I see um, this playing out? Where do I see the empirical evidence um, 
pointing towards and what what do I feel are the you know the 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 causes of this injustice by large and so in, in the last few days i think i've i've and you know this is my own you know from thousands of miles away um kind of conclusion you know i see the 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 hurt the pain the rage the uh the that brokenness. I think you posted that that one video of these guys like yelling at each other, like you got to do better. Like this is not the way. And uh, I look at that and I say, okay, that is that is coming from somewhere. That is coming from somewhere. So I'm, and you know, I, I talked to you know my best friend growing up. She said her husband. You know, they're driving in the car. He gets pulled over because his car looks nice, and you know. They talked to him. My my cousin, South Side of Chicago, you know, it's tons of gang violence. He gets pulled over. He said, he's, yeah, I've been pulled over four or five times because something looked off. And so, so I, I look at that antidotal evidence and I say, okay, something's going on here. I, I look at, you know, what's happening across America. I look at your emotions. I say, okay, something's, something's really going on here. Something like this isn't just made up. But then I, then, you know, as the, a business person, I think of like, okay, well, if, if this was, I was trying to run a business or a company, I'd then look at the, the data and the, the, the empirical evidence and where does that empirical evidence point? And uh, the conclusions that I hear most of mainstream media pointing to is just not what the empirical evidence is pointing to. And so you bringing up, um, how some things can start on on a principle, and then you know when people are feeling disempowered, they're feeling hurt, they're feeling oppressed by a system. And I agree. I look at I look at the data and I say there is there is a system that has been set in place that's enslaving poor people in America today. But it's not capitalism, and it's not the police from the data that I see. And so, do you feel like that? that there is there is that pain and someone is capitalizing on that pain for and and using that pain for their own gain or or do you see that the the narrative by and large is true uh no i mean i definitely believe that there are actors and there are people in the context of capitalism who are or rather who are taking advantage of a capitalistic society um this is another way of usury you know sort of black emotional pain you know, and brown pain. Um, the media is a main actor here, you know. Um, they're the extremes. They don't report the middle where people are peacefully protesting. The media isn't showing the vast majority of positive modeling of how to do this well that exists on the streets in America right now. Mm -hmm. That is not, those stories are not being told. They are some, but not enough to break up the noise because you don't get ratings on things that are cute and fun and inspiring. You get ratings from things that are bloody and nasty, right? And that's, and that, and that, that system, that storytelling mechanism, right? That opinion system, 24 hour news cycle is a cesspool that is fueling a lot of the rage. Yeah, it has been for a very long time. It's inciting. It seems like it's inciting more of that. And I was talking to my cousin. I was like, well, you know, what do you think? 
he's like, oh, this definitely isn't helping. You know, like this definitely isn't helping, you know, and especially like now he's, he's living in a, an all white community. And so I, I, I'm the majority of my life I've lived overseas in, in places where I'm the minority. And I think the, the noted difference is that I'm a minority in a place that's not my own home where especially, um, and I think you have the same experience of being, uh, being grown up in a, in a white family. You are not in your own, uh, I guess, ethnic context where you're a majority within your social group, but you're a minority in your social group. So I think that's a, a noted difference and, and of being a minority almost in your own home and in the, the social circle that that allows to. Um, so I, I, you know, my wife, she goes out to the store here and she gets stared at, looked at all the time. So on a small level of living in a place that's not my home, I can, I can relate to that, that sense of being a minority. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the other differences is that as a white person living in a foreign country, you are a novelty, not a threat. Yes. Most of the time. Yes. You are something that is, you're fascinating and you're exotic, Yes, you know? And yeah. people want to be closer to you, right? Want to know more, you know, find it. It's almost like the British accent, right? Everybody wants the British accent, you know? <laughs> and so as soon as the Brit comes over, I'm like, what, some of my friends are British and I'm just like, man, I can't wait to have that. I'm going to try and do the accent thing. I'm trying to co-opt <laughs> it, right? Yeah. Um, but the notable difference, you know, between being, you know, uh, a, a brown person or a black person and a minority in a white community in America mm-hmm. is that it's not, it's mostly not a novelty, you know? Yeah. The no, I agree. I agree. There's a big on, difference. Is on the brown person, right? The stress is on the brown person oh, to, yeah. to, to conform and to comply, um, to navigate through their brownness, you know, um, and what it means to be authentic in that cultural history. And at the same time, be um, powerful and relevant in the work that you do, um, the community that you live in, um, and not be, you know, judged and or 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 like retaliated against or have opportunities withheld from you because of the color of your skin, or because of the color of your skin and your opinion mm. about certain things going on, because it only validates the you know, whatever it is, it's in the back of the mind. It validates bias sometimes. So I go through this, right? And I wrote, you know, a piece about this when the Arnabry thing came out. And I said, you know, let me be, just, just let me qualify, which I shouldn't have to do these statements, that when I come out against this kind of violence, it doesn't mean that I'm a card-carrying member of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and I'm not a card-carrying member of the NAACP, just in case anybody wanted to know. I'm not. And I will never be. It doesn't mean that I don't find value sometimes in the NAACP, but I will never 100% pay dues to that organization, you know, and become a member of it. And I have reasons for that, right? Um, But if I came out, you know, and had an opinion about this as a person of color, people would automatically think sometimes here, oh, you're one of those ultra liberals, the extreme liberals, and I can't really talk to you about this because you just don't understand. I mean, this, and and then opportunities are withheld because then I'm, I'm dangerous in, in the way I think about things, right? I'm not a conformist. I'm a contrarian now. Yes. <laughs> no, I think, and I think, you know, 
you probably like me in different ways. You you're not sitting directly on a, a on a party line. You're thinking for yourself, and in some ways that makes you very dangerous to both communities. Um, you know, even in my leading up to this conversation, trying to kind of like not project, but project like, okay, what, like what is Brandon's talk? Like, what is, what is his perspective going to be? How do I like, like what, where is he coming from on this? Cause you're not posting a whole lot on, uh, on, on social media about it, probably because you're in an actual real conversations that are deciding like I'm real issues. Work. I'm doing a lot of work. Like this is real, real work. Life. You know, I, I spoke to two groups yesterday. I've been working on planning an event, you know, to, bring some folks together around this conversation in Dallas. I've been doing, you know, there are a lot of, you know, things going on. I've, I've been out, you know, a little bit, you know, to the protest here in DC out of curiosity, but also to be there, you know, and to see, you know, um, and, and to say, yeah, guess what? This is part of my grieving that I matter too. Yes. And I need to know that, you know, regardless of, I'm not, you know, signing up to be a part of a movement and entirely. Right. You know, um, but I will say, I mean, that what I went through, what I'm going through, you know, trauma is a funny thing. Generational trauma is an even funnier thing because I've not been in a situation where I've had someone put their knee on my neck like that. I have had things that I've had things happen that have made me wonder if that's where it would go. (laughs) But the reality is that I wasn't there. And yet somehow when watching the video, I superimposed naturally my face on his face and and we kept watching the video. It was almost as though it was, it was like, it was me like spatially. I had gone. I don't understand that trauma like how that works because that wasn't my trauma except that it's my genetic or my generational trauma. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's the, that, that's the best that I can do aside from the fact that the image is traumatizing period. The video is traumatizing on its own, yeah. but then it's something else when you know that there's been a history in America of being treated a certain way because of the color of your skin. And that is, and this is how we are trained as black people as black men in America to be cautious of this. We are conscious all the time mm-hmm. from the day we are born. You know, someone asked me, well, what do you think? You know, you have some expertise in this, you're this, and you're a social worker and, you know, you're an expert on this. And I was like, yes, and I've also been black for 38 years. Let me tell you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like the obvious thing, you know, we don't go towards because we'd like to say, you know, one, that your experience as a black person isn't as credible right? We have to actually look at your education, but it is enough. It is credible enough to be black in America. And then again, to be credible enough to have actually gone to school and gotten some language, you know, for really understanding how this drives certain outcomes in communities um, in America. And, and honestly, how it even relates to things going on around the world, you know? So we can look at certain areas of conflict, you know, around the world. And we are looking right now in America at the risk factors that we've been dealing with and managing for years. Finally, like I've been saying it, this is what was going to, there was going to be a match and it was going to be lit and it was going to set this flammable environment on fire. Mm. And we're not done yet. 
This is just the tip. We haven't even, we've, we've yet begun. But my fight is why I say it's time to lean in because I don't want it to be flammable in a way that causes destruction and it's not constructive. I do want people to be on fire. Yes. Right? Yes. For who they are. Yes. And their identity and for justice. Yes. Right? And for mm. in, in inclusion. Yeah. But not in a political way. Yeah. I mean that there is a history that we are dealing with and it's not a far gone history. It's a recent history. 1955, 1963, 1968, really important years. Go look it up. 1972. Okay. Really important years in the history of America when it comes to race relations. Okay. Guess what? 2016, really important year when it comes to race relations. 2008, really important year. The year that we thought we were entering into a post-racial situation in this country, right? Obama becomes president. We think, okay, we've healed the racial divide. We're good. Black man became president. Mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy told us 40 years prior to that, that progress was happening in black communities across America. And maybe in 40 years, we'll actually see a black president. Wow. And, it happened, and I was like, but, who is he? But. <laughs> you know, who is Bobby Kennedy? You know, like, thank you very much for giving it, for, for giving us permission in 40 years to, you know, um, to occupy the White House. Just so happened it was exactly 40 years. He said it in 68. <laughs> 2008 Obama's in the White House. He was mildly prophetic. And, um, you know, so the my, my point, I, I think... Or, or one of my many points because I'm verbose is that um, because there's been progress, it doesn't mean that there, it doesn't mean there isn't pain still. Yes. And I right? can, I can, I'm, I can totally, I can totally see that. I can totally get behind that. Um, one thing you've said earlier, and I've heard a lot of people say, um, and I think uh, on a fundamental level, I disagree. And, but on, on a different level, I understand that, uh, you know, more can be done. But the, the, the statement of we haven't had this, com you know, we've had 400 years to have this conversation. One, it's, you know, Al Sharpton said it a couple of days ago, it's 401 years. Well, part of that is written on a on a article written in the New York Times, the 1916 project or 1619 project 1619. Mm -hmm. that uh, is, is riddled with, you know, a lot of historical errors. Um, so that's one thing where I'm kind of like, ah, oh, I'm not sure about that. And then I, I look and I'm like, well, but I feel like we, we have been having this conversation for a number of years. Um, the North, the Republican North, uh, gave 600,000 white men under Abraham Lincoln to end slavery in the South. Um, you know, so the, there, there has been some conversation, and then, like like you pointed to in 1960, there is there is more conversation where where you know these Jim Crow laws were were done away with. Um, Johnson administration and uh, uh, losing those words, but in the last 40 years, even even to the point where today, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the data, and and all the data that I read about the police force is that there's not racial bias according 
to the Department of Justice, according to studies done underneath Obama, studies done underneath Clinton, according to studies done out of Harvard, that there there is police brutality, which is and the police forces wrongfully defended by the police unions. Again, that's being defended by somebody. And and so I look at them like, well, okay, clearly they're still paying. Clearly they're still work that needs to be done but I, I see the I see the majority of people I don't see any single person that's like ah I think you know Derek was justified and you know he got you know that's fine whatever I don't I don't I don't hear any of that so I think myself and maybe others are feeling a little confused that well what do you mean there's not been progress or there's not been conversation like the entire nation's outraged over this and i don't know a, a, a single white person that that isn't mortified by what happened well i know it's a hard question no it's really not not for me because i get this all the time <laughs> you know Good. so and i and i love you <laughs> you know and it isn't and, and and this is and this is the argument you know that gets made well, I and think I, it's where the, where the data, I, I, like I said earlier, I think there are systems that are in, enslaving, which is, which is, you know, social, socialist Marxist systems that's keeping the African-American and poor out of competition and out of free markets. So I, I say, I look and like, there is pain, but I don't, I just don't know if the, the narrative of where it's coming from is right. Well, here's. The reality mm-hmm. is that data is important. Um, helps us to see where we're making actual, like, tenable progress, quote unquote. <clears throat> What's difficult to measure is whether or not a person is doing something or not doing something out of a space in their heart. So let me give you some context to that, right? Because the, the conversation on, 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 on racism, as far as I'm concerned, we have shifted this to be a conversation on where has progress been in systems. So for instance, criminal justice reform, right? Um, we can say we've done X number of things in criminal justice reform, right? To deal with over-criminalization, helping people to re-enter into society in certain ways. And there are some statistics about disproportionate representation of black people in criminal justice system in America, right? Okay, fine. Let's take that. And we've had some data on the progress of what's going on, first step back, things like that. Okay, great. Working on criminal justice reform is not working on racism or working on bias or bigotry in the heart because those issues are not only um, ones that have an impact on black people alone. Mm-hmm. They have an impact on white people in America, other people of other, other backgrounds in America. Right. So of course it's a, it is a faulty system in and of itself, but it is not necessarily 100% a racist system. Right. Cause we can't, because we can't prove that because if, because if that were the case, there would only be black people in it. Right. If it's racism against the black or, or the African-American male, right? 
but so, we so sometimes so take saying, the data. So, yeah. So, so let me clarify. So what you're saying is, okay, there you're you're agreeing there has been progress. You're agreeing that I mean I've I was I've been looking at multiple. You know, there's an article in the New York Times saying, oh look, there there is you know a disproportionate amount. But then Wall Street Journal, multiple other people. Uh, Thomas Sowell writes about it extensively. He's like, well, no, you know, African-American males, are, you know, African-Americans are 13.4% of the population, yet they, they're committing 37.5% of the violent crimes. So in, in my thought, it's like, well, it seems like people are policing crime, not necessarily policing, uh, uh, you know, being biased towards African-Americans. And then I would say, okay, so it looks like there is some deep, broken issues within the African American community. Not to say that they're just evidential, like, but the evidence points to there is so much crime there. Something must be going on. And that's where my challenge is: is I don't know who's being fueled by racism or bias or bigotry. If you look at the data and make those points, great. That's awesome. But what you can't measure is empathy or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. That's or an understanding, right? Or what's going on in a person's heart. Yeah. But what I do know is that the history of racism in America is a matter of the heart. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the history of racism everywhere in the world. I mean, everywhere it, in the world, there is racism. And it's always a matter of the heart because sin is a matter of the heart. And we all have right. sinned. So, right. So the solution, like, in, and, and you're saying this too. You you said this in the beginning, you know the solution is not another system, another another policy, another another project. It, it, the solution has to be it has to be m- m- morality, biblically based morality. I, I was listening to Sowell. He was saying that in 1960, um, among African Americans, 66 percent of them were had married households. But now in 2020, it's 33%. He tells stories about the two blackouts in 1960 and 1972. In 1960, blackout, zero riots, zero looting. 1972, blackout, like looting and riots. What what happened over the course of 12 years? He says, well, we lost our, our moral compass. We lost morality. We lost value. And I look across America and I say, well, that's not just one community. The, the whole nation has left and forgot about God. And so if, if, if we've all forgotten about morality, if, if, if all of our language has become, you know, well, our, your words are violence. Well, now your silence is violence. Well, no, that violence isn't violence, but your whiteness is violence or your blackness is violence. And it's boiled down to identity politics because, and because we've lost true morality. We lost our sense of values. Well, of course, everything's going to be burning. Of course, everything's going to be burning. I'll I'll, I'll even take you into another part of it, is that what morality? (laughs) Because we can say we've lost it, but for for instance, we're talking about this Arbery thing and the George Floyd thing. The suspicion for Black people in America is that there's never been a morality that has included us, except for the one that we held for ourselves. Say that again. Say that again. Help me understand. Suspicion has been. The suspicion is that there has not been a constitutional or a national morality that applied to us. 
So for instance, you could have state-sanctioned spying on leaders of the civil rights movement, right? That happened in Mississippi, happened by the FBI, right? It was a direct effort by the state to dismantle, you know, what was going on, you know, with leaders like Martin Luther King, right? And Medgar Evers, right? And to be honest, how'd Medgar Evers die? (laughs) He didn't die because there were some random white folks that were mad at him. These were people likely sanctioned. I don't think there's been entirely proven, but it's like, but sanctioned murders in Mississippi from the state. Right. Sovereignty commission kind of stuff. That's that's who they were. And I think, and I think, um, you know, that, that type of challenge in, in the psychology and in the emotional um, uh, ranges, the complexity, the, the, the betrayal, you know, of what that means for the, what, um, you know, for what someone like, like me goes through attention. I am an American. I am an, I am a patriot. Right. And, but I'm, I'm first of all, like, I love God, first of all. And I have to think about the complexity of what it means to have, to live in a country that has this history that it was specifically targeted because of my skin color. Like, that's the thing. It, the only thing that was different, you know, was that, yes. So we had, yes, yes. In 1960, we had a value for family in, in Black America. The nuclear family was an important thing, mm-hmm. right? That was based on, and this is something that we have to deal with in the context of, of Black America, is that the moral leadership has failed there. Moral, faith, faith, leadership, godly leadership has gone out the window in a sense and movements like black lives matter have um are completely resistant to faith-based platforms in the context of their movement because of the hypocrisy of faith leaders not just white faith leaders but black faith leaders right right so who's what what morality (laughs) which one do you trust and even if you are godly quote unquote who, who's to say that you are trustworthy <laughs> you know to lead us into a certain place and i'm saying that that's the suspicion that's what people are checking in in their minds but that all of that comes from a place of hurt and pain right to not know to not be sure if you and i even say that and this is the thing with the police right is that whether or not yes these stats are one thing but the pain is completely something else and the images and the tableaus yes. bring up a very a very deep rooted and suppressed pain. And and that I can see and that I can see and that I recognize and that I understand. And, and I, I can look that and I can, I can, in my mind, I can divide the two and I can say, okay, even though within the system, there is not a, you know, a racial bias against African-Americans. And even though we don't know, that's what I'm saying. You don't know that though. You said what, what the, what the data does is it points in a direction. It says, you know, more white people are killed by police than, than black people. It has, it says nothing about the motivations of white cops or black cops. Right. It doesn't say, I guess you're right. It doesn't say something about motive, like the heart motivation yeah. of one cop versus the other. But I mean, it does, there, there's the, the study that was done by Clinton in the nineties about wondering, well, why do a disproportionate number of speeding tickets go to African-Americans? 
Well, then they they took the speeds of 40,000 people on the New Jersey Turnpike, and they found out that 26% of the speeders, or people speeding were African, they didn't pull them over, but 26 were African-American, but only 23% of the population that was actually getting pulled over and ticketed were African-American. So, so there's been multiple things that actually say, and even, even when Giuliani in New York City implemented you know, the no broken window and they really cracked down on small crime, actually the crime rate plummeted in that, that city. So, so the, I guess there's a couple of th- different things going on in my mind, which is one like, well, it, it seems to me that there's like a lack of protection from the police within the African-American community. Um, and then when there is an increased level of protection, the crime rates precipitously drop. Whereas when, you know, what Black Lives Matter stand for, it's like, well, we just need to defund and destroy the police. It seems like, well, that's going to going to hurt the community. So, and yes, oh, like, oh, we can't like totally it will. the, like you look at the, and we had this conversation with Arbery, with Arbery, you know, the, we looked at the cover up and, you know, I said, you know, it looks like it could be racist, but it really looks like more they were buddies and they're covering their friends, butt, and that's wrong. That's corrupt. The system played out. And, and again, it's like, okay, in, in this instance, yeah, it looks, it looks racist, but you know, you can't like, you can't judge that heart, but I can say that is police brutality. I can say if, if he was disciplined correctly, this wouldn't have happened. I can't, like, I can't point to that and I can't say that. And I don't think anyone's arguing that, but regardless, and what I hear you saying is regardless, it's pointing, like you look at and say, okay, even if we all agreed and we don't, I'm sure if we all agreed that the system is, is working with equity, what you're saying it's pointing to is like, yeah, but it's actually, when we see these images, it's hearkening back to a deeper pain that hasn't been healed within us. And we're not necessarily, I mean, some people are, but it's probably misguided, aren't necessarily yelling at a system per se, but we're crying out of this, this pain in our hearts and that, that somehow that needs to be healed. Somehow we need to have a, a healing of, of, of our hearts and everything that we've gone through and our, our broken homes and, and feeling like we just can't, we can't get out of this and we're so hurt. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So to add a little bit more context yeah. to that, yes, this is what I'm saying. Um, in terms of going back to comic made earlier about, yes, we've had several degrees of conversations over the years. Here's the thing we haven't done. And this is what we mean. We, I'm not a collective we, cause I am not a we, you know, I don't like to check the box and be a part of anything. Yes. So <laughs> I don't love to be overly identified, you know, with one group or, or another. Yeah. yeah. But in the sense of we, in the sense, what we mean when we say we have not had a conversation before, I think we are talking in and around what the thing is. That's, and we have not talked about the actual original sin. We can call it that. Not of, I mean, yes, it's slavery, but the sin is the thing in the heart. Yes. That made it possible in the first place to yeah. think that 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 one could 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 take a people from their land, you know. And we've got incidents you know, like we've done this before as a country, right? So it didn't start with black people; started with 
First Nations people, started with tribal people, Native Americans, right? And the judgment, what is in the heart, we haven't talked about that. And the only people that we can have the conversation with are the people that are descendant of the people who did it. And that thing is a seed. It lives and it breathes and it is latched on. It is symbiotic, parasitic, whatever it is. It is a part of our of, of the original sin. It is Cain versus Abel. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes Cain want to do that to Abel? And then the Lord in the Bible says, where is your brother, Cain? Right? And instead, what we're doing is saying, we have progress in criminal justice reform. We've had progress in policing. We've had progress. And this is not just conservatives that are doing this. Progressives are doing this too in their own way, right? Like, let's have a conversation about how horrible the systems are. And disproportionate representation over here. And no one's willing, and this is my cry, to have a conversation about the problem of the human heart or the problem that's in the human heart in the context of the potential of the human heart to not feel it, but we are to actually take responsibility for what's there. That I'm not hearing. That conversation hasn't happened before. So when I'm talking to people, I ask them, I said, where are you in the story? Where is your heart? Where is the seed of this in you? It's in me. Is it not in you? And we don't want to have that conversation that is uncomfortable. It is vulnerable. And people don't want to look. Because if you look at ugly, you're afraid you might actually be ugly. So you're, you're saying something you're saying something very, 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 very different than what the other, however many million people, I mean, I'm sure one or two maybe might be saying what you're saying, but I haven't heard, heard anything even remotely close to that. What you're saying, and it's similar to, you know, what Jordan Peterson would talk about, which is you need to, you need to go within the belly of the beast, which is yourself. And you need to look at the malevolence of yourself and your capability for your own wickedness and evil. And he tells these these stories about how uh, all of a sudden he, he started having these fantasies, dark fantasies of his ability to become a serial killer. And he said, it wasn't until I stopped and I looked into the ability, the, the propensity that I had as fallen human man and accepted the fact that I am not inherently good, that man is not inherently good, that I actually have, I am on the brink, I am on the edge of complete darkness and atrocity, complete acts of of vile, evil wickedness. And until we stop and realize that within us, that we're just just ignoring our our fallenness. We're circling the wagon. And we think, and this is why I say, I said, the protest, great. Guess what? Could be another circle of the wagon. But stop long enough to look and see, oh, wait, there's some real pain here. What's going on? There's enough flame on it that we might turn our head and pay attention and actually start having conversations like this where we get to the heart of it, right? Because I've seen this. Candace Owens came out with her video here in America. Please watch it for whatever you agree or disagree about it. Charlie Kirk has said things, Turning Point USA people, Rob Smith, these guys have said things. You know, these are the conservative, sort of the more on the extreme side of the conservative, um, you know, kind of talkers here. 
You've got Al Sharpton, you know, these folks that are at the funeral saying things coming against the president. I mean, these are the extremes circling the wagon with talking points that have been spun around and around and around for years. So, yeah, we've been having a conversation. We have not been having the conversation. Mm. We haven't. And, and that conversation of preserving to do it. And that, and it does, but it doesn't that convert it. What I hear you saying, and this is somewhat an extrapolation of what you're saying is that conversation actually has nothing to do with race. That conversation, you know, doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, whiteness versus blackness versus Asianness versus whatever ethnicity that conversation has to do with your humanity regardless of your opinion of anyone's race, creed, class, or sex. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it gets down to is, you know, we have the capacity for a great deal of evil. And so for me, when I hear people say, oh, I'm not a racist, I go, well, you're not in touch with your humanity because you have the, you have the capacity to be one. And you don't want to acknowledge that, which to me, as soon as someone denies it, I'm not racist. I'm like, Aren't you? <laughs> you know, I but, said I don't. You're saying, you're, but you're saying something different than what other people are saying. You you say, "Aren't you racist?" Because I'm racist, right? That's that's what you're saying. I have the capacity to do that, and maybe if I, and here's the thing: if I don't have the capacity for racism, I have another vice, right? I have the capacity for being a serial killer. I have the capacity to be, you know, in the context of my human brokenness, right? You know, like there are just other things I lean into, but there are. I mean, for instance, like, you know, like there, there are things like I could be a, you know, a, a raging prostitute or something like that. Like that's probably more something that I would do, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, that's probably more my speed, you know, in terms of the evil that I'm, you know, the, that I'm capable of, you know, I'm less capable just because of the, the, my environment in which I've grown up in, you know, as a black person, I'm less, I'm less capable of being a racist because I don't want to treat people based on the color of their skin, the way I've been treated, but it does mean I'm not capable of other things. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But either way, to your point, I agree with you that at the end of the day, it gets down to this, to, to this acknowledgement of brokenness, right? Of human depravity, but you flip it. Jordan Peterson does this too. You flip it and he goes, and it's once you acknowledge that yes. and you acknowledge your fear of not being able of, of, of not wanting to have that conversation within yourself, then there's your opportunity yes. for growth and change, yes. right? And transformation, yes. right? And, and, and an assertion and, 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 and a living out of a better way, you know, in a way that's constructive for society, but in a way that also is more whole, right? Where we're able to take in, right? The data and, and not be defensive. And I mean, like not be data of policing or whatnot. I mean, like the actual data of our humanity, we take it all in and not just our humanity, but the humanity of the world. We start to take it all in our human depravity and our human potential. And we hold it in us. And we have then the choice to be in awe of what we are and have agency then mm. to take responsibility and change and give and promote something that is better, but we cannot do it until we acknowledge, yes, I can be, I have had thoughts of, or, I've ha or I have been afraid of a black person when they're walking across the street, you know, or they're walking close to me and I'm, and I'm alone at night. I have 
the capacity. I don't think the woman in in the Central Park video, people haven't watched it. I don't think that she intended on actually manifesting that racism that day. (laughs) I don't think she was thinking to herself, I'm going to go to this park and I'm going to intentionally, you know, run into this black man and then call the police. But something in her humanity was tripped, triggered. Whether it was because he was asking her to put her dog away um, or, or to put it on, on a leash. And he was powerful in doing that justified in doing so. And she became scared at, Somehow, maybe how he was talking to her, whatever it was, personal issue for her. But what she did is weaponize something. She could have weaponized anything, but what she did was weaponize race. She could have weaponized something else in her arsenal, but she didn't. She weaponized race. Mm -hmm. And the question is not only why do we do that, but why is that an option? I'm curious about why race is an option at all in the world. (laughs) You know, like the color of a person's skin. As well, opposed to saying race, but right. that, why is the person of a color skin even an option, you know, for weaponization? And that's just a big question I have for God when I get to heaven one day. It goes like, <laughs> whoa, like, when did race, like, in, on, on the list of things that we could use to weaponize against one another, like, I'm thinking you could use a spear, <laughs> you know, you could use a sword, you know, I could call you a dirty name, you know, like you're too short or whatever it is, right? Or your eyes are blue and I don't hang out with blue-eyed people. You know, things like that, which which would have been something actually in the history, you know, yeah. of I mean the Aryan um, race, right? Right, the Aryan race, blonde hair, blue eyes, right? That's happened. So very similar, right? Like I could have weaponized anything, you know. So why do why, why do certain things get on the list, or is everything on the list? I don't know. Is everything on the list that can be weaponized against someone? But this thing about the construct of race and how it's been used right? Created something so, and this is what, this is what makes America really unique. And I would say similar, probably only to, um, to the, the history of the Jewish people, probably, you know, um, um, who I think there was a worse, or it's not a contest between what yeah, is worse. I understand and what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah. but still had a, had a very, you know, and I mean, the, the people are going through atrocities all over the world. So that's my, my point in terms of the longevity of it yes. and the, and the diabolical nature of it. Right. And what it started and how it was proliferated. Right. This is the thing where it gets so crazy is that when that human depravity at the individual level becomes collectively held as something that we should be, when it becomes revered, as a way of avoidance of the depravity itself. So you don't actually tell yourself the, the, the truth. You actually raise your children to think that your depravity is your gift and it's your honor and it's your privilege, right? And that's what was happening in the context of America is that people were like, nope, we're not depraved. Racism isn't a bad thing. Black people deserve this. White people deserve this. And we must at all costs maintain this system the way that it is. Black people must always be subordinate and subservient to the white male leader. The point is, you know, there was a collective like identity where we where where white people at a certain point in throughout the history of slavery, race relations in America decided at some point that they were going to raise their children in this. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying on principle, we have a depraved part in our humanity where we, where we took part in this system of slavery. Instead, they turned it and said, this is not depravity to us. This is strength to us. Yes. We yeah. are owed 
right? This power and this, and this, and this status and the American Negro is subservient or subordinate to us because they are Neanderthalic. They are right. Um, lower on the evolution totem pole, right? They are beneath us. And then you, and then that generation, guess what raised their children to think the same. Right. So if I can ask a question, you going back a little earlier, um, you, you almost, you made a statement that when a person says, well, oh, I'm not racist. And then you're like, well, are you, but then, but then instead of you saying that you are, you equally have the propensity to race, he's like, well, I'm actually, I'm actually not a part of that group. Um, and then my my question, because because it seems like you're making the argument that oh well, all white people have a higher propensity for racism because they they all participated in this systematic enslaving of the African American people. Where then and so that's what I heard. That's what I heard you saying. And by the look of your face, I don't know if you actually meant that. Because then my yeah, question, I, I mean that. Yeah, I don't know if I mean that because I don't know if I can know that. I don't know if I can know that. Right. Yeah, I think that was a gross generalization on, on, uh, and, and if, if that were, so, if that was something that I said, you know, that white people are, I, I just don't think there's anything to back up that statement. There's no way that I could know that. I don't think that every white person has a higher propensity to being racist, but I do think that, that, that there is, I don't even like the term racist. I, 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 I'm fine with, with racism. So long as I define it as a contagion, sort of like as a generational contagion of thought and belief. So then, right. right. So, so then, Mike, if you're saying it's a generational contagion, then wouldn't the wouldn't the argument, a strong argument, be made? You know, for me, for instance, and, and we've talked about this before. I'm Polish background. My great grandfather came to America probably in the very, very late um, 1900s, probably early um, 20th century. So probably right around 1900, 1910. So. I I think there's a great argument to be made to say that well, you know I I didn't and this has I'm sure you've heard it I I didn't own slaves and this is that and I'd say an argument of that man my my gener my 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 family line in Europe suffered many atrocities too and I'm not comparing the two atrocities, um, but I, so I, I guess my question is against again that that statement. Where, where it seems to be this, and maybe you're not saying it, but other people I know are saying it. It's well, because you're white, or using words like privilege, where privilege and advantage is something that's completely different. Advantage is something that's naturally occurring. Whereas privilege is like, well, if both of you and I, you know, are memberships at a golf club, I get a privilege of bringing a friend, but. If you don't get that privilege, then there's unequal privilege given in the system, which we all agree has happened in American history. Ad- advantage of of being white or advantage of being grown up in a family where I have both my parents, those are those are advantages or advantage of being six feet tall and being able to dunk. That's an advantage. Um, so but there seems to be an Van Jones made that statement that every after that instance with the lady in the park that every white person has a virus inside their head that can be triggered at any moment. It, you know, in my mind, like, wow, if, if, if there was a racist statement, that would be one. And yet, and yet there seems to be this idea, well, because I'm black, I can't be racist. And because people are white, they are racist. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, people are going to be making this point. I I, I tend to make that a, a, a moot argument because it, it it doesn't get us to the conversation, right? And so so let me entertain it for just a moment, so as to not skip through your question, um, <laughs> to not avoid the question. Um, well, I mean, you can you can essentially say, well, I just totally disagree with with that assertion, and he was wrong in saying it, you know, and. and- <laughs> Well, because but, but I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't like binaries like that. I and I, I think that what I think you're 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 bringing up an an interesting point that's worthy of being explored, not worthy of being denied. The fact that you came from Polish background, you don't have um, a generational history of, of 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 owning slaves in your family, but then when you would come over and you would and, and you become a part of a system, right? that honors whiteness over blackness and say nothing then about the mistreatment or engage or buy in with the system as it is, then there is a certain kind of complicitness in that, whether that's intentional or because that's just the way things were, it's just how we did it back then, whenever the movement happened, right? So I'm not saying that there's some like, oh gosh, like someone should have just like stuck up for the black people when you, I I don't, I mean, that would have been great, I'm sure, but that probably would have come at great cost. People were coming over and migrating to America for a reason, land of opportunity, right? But you're you're making, you made this assumption that, you know, as a, as a white person, we were favored when all, we were the butt of every joke. Polls. Oh, how many polls does it take to do this? You know, so, (laughs) so, so, right. So what my point is, you're, you're making this assertion that because my, my great grandparents were white, that they all of a sudden bought into the system and and they didn't face racism or prejudice um, against them. Where in, in Chicago, there was, you know, they were great. And that's what drove them here was, was, you know, racism against the polls. Yeah. And I, and I'm not saying that that doesn't have a factor, right. In how you process through these questions, right. And, and, and how you relate to the subject, right. It it probably does, you know, and I'm, and my, my point is, I don't know always, I don't make gross, I don't make gross assumptions about how you were, had better like advantage because of the color of your skin versus coming from that background versus someone who came from say a Southern background, you know, and their, and their grandparents or great grandparents were plantation owners and they've got generational wealth and all these kinds of things. You see what I'm saying? Like what, what are the differences there? Right. I think that's why I said it's worth being explored. It's not one or the other. It's not zero sum. There's a spectrum that we need to understand of what the advantages are for someone like you and your background versus someone who is like me and my background versus someone who's of another background. But I don't think that this thing is like, oh, it's this or it's that. And that's where I take issue with the Van Jones thing too, is that all white people have something in them that can be, well, that's a generalization. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a gotcha statement. You know, it's an absolutism and it's not, and, and he's got 30 seconds and a soundbite, you know, to make a point, right? That's supposed to be shock jockey, you know? And I don't hate Van Jones, but I don't think, I, I don't love statements like that. Um, but, but I also understand how he could feel that way, even if it isn't, you see what I'm saying? Like he hasn't done the research. But wouldn't you say, wouldn't you <laughs> say that that black- by definition is a racist statement? Not that he's racist, but that's a, a statement that is I, racism. I, it's, you, I you don't just know made if a, it's racist. Well, you just made a generalization about an entire race 
but I, but but he's making that generalization because of the history of the interaction of white people in a in America with black people. It might be racist. I don't think that was racist. I think that he's actually drawing a line between the generational deposit. What right? if if a what? white per, if a white person got on TV and said every black person has a virus in their head that can be triggered at any moment? Well, right, I, right. It's not the same thing. It though. is the same it's thing. Not the same, it's not the same thing. And this is and this is where people tend to diverge because the reality is is that there hasn't been a history of black people oppressing white people in this country. There's a history of white people oppressing black people in this country saying those types of things since the beginning. And what black people have been trying to understand, you know, is what is that? That's what the deeper this deeper part of the conversation that we're getting to. What is it in a white person? in the history of white people ever, you know, that would have triggered them to think that black people are less than who would have come up with that science. Right. So Van could be wrong in how he said it, but understand that the math is, it may not even be an appropriate math. It's not one plus one. That's why I don't make his statement. I said, I I would never say that. I would never go on national television and say all white people. I would never say that. I know you of wouldn't. Course I wouldn't, right? Of course I wouldn't. Now, that's why I said I don't agree with Van's statement. I do understand how he, if he were, if he wanted to make that statement, if he wanted to make a case for that, he could make a case for it based on a, on, on a number of assumptions that he's making, right? And the assumption is based on history. I'm not going to defend his argument. I'm going to defend his process in a sense of how he could have gotten there, but I would never say, okay, that was an appropriate thing to say because it doesn't help. And it's probably not true. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and I don't know to what degree it is or isn't true. And these are the points that I'm saying. It's like, there's a contagion and this gets back to your point. And, this, and maybe this is Van's point, right? He's just saying it from a point of, from a place of animus that everyone has something in them that can be triggered. If so, he said so, everyone does, right. we would have less argument. We would have less whatever with the argument. Right. So, but I don't think that the same way that, that we couldn't look at a police officer and determine whether or not they're racist or not, and then say that then because they did something that their actions were racist. Right. Van said that, are we now prepared to say that he is a racist? I didn't say that he is a racist. I said that it's a racist statement. Well, that's, and that's what I'm saying though. So who's, who's to say it's, that's how you're seeing that racist statement. That's your interpretation of it. Is is it as a, as a racist statement? Other people will always be on, on, on the other side of that argument and say, of course it wasn't a racist statement. We'll go back and forth circling the wagons again and not getting down to the conversation. Right. We like, that is not the conversation we need to be having about whether or not it was a racist statement or not. Well, I think that can, yeah, I I guess guess that's not where we need to go. I guess where I was going with the, the question wasn't necessarily, was it a racist statement or not? But where mm-hmm. I was going with the question is identity politics, where I was going with the question is the this Marxist infiltration that deconstructs words, um, that 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 says things like, well, this isn't about you, you know, white people, this isn't about you right now, where I would say, actually, well, actually it is it is about me. It is about Everyone else in this country, this you know, we're talking about policies. We're talking about defend, defunding police. We're talking about lots of things. Actually, like I have an equal voice in this conversation. I might have a different perspective. I might have a different role. Clearly, um, but I think it is about like when when people's buildings are getting burnt down and, and people are getting killed. Well, it actually, it does become about me now. 
So I think, and what I'm saying is, you know, this postmodern Marxist agenda of silencing anything that opposes them while then having the liberty to say anything that they want that's so absurd and then being defending it, calling whiteness violence and then and then justifying real violence saying, well, that's not violence. That's just, you know, you can't. You can't make assertions totally. because they're just in trauma and that's, you know, that's okay. Besides, it's just property. You know, all of these, the, the argument that I'm really making is nothing to do with Van Jones. It has to do with the, the, the post-modern Marxist uh, intersectionality, not the way that you're talking about it, but the intersectionality that is, boils everything down to power rather than boiling everything down to what you said, which is we are all human beings. We are all broken. And we, as you said, when we talked about our barrier, you said we all had have a responsibility, you know, to, to draw closer to one another, to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts. And it doesn't matter your, your race, your creed, your sex or whatever. We all have that responsibility. And um, this postmodernism. I feel like is is hindering um, an ability for a rational a rational conversation where we can actually find healing. Yeah, sure. And I feel like there are many threats like that, right? I don't think that you know Van Jones as an example. You know, I, I and I totally get what you're saying, right? And here's the balance of it all, and this goes right back to the conversation about pain. But even you know. <sighs> It's it's sad for me because I'm in the middle. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was thinking about that. I was like, man, like Brandon's role is so unique that he has to be a statesman for both sides. He has to be a bridge yeah. for both sides. And that's a, a, an incredibly hard place to be. Yeah. And so even if I were to look at sort of this postmodern Marxism, as you call it, that is one of many threats. Yes. <laughs> in terms of ideologies, right? That we're navigating through here. Okay. Part of the problem with even the statement on like with someone someone white saying to someone black, hey, I have an equal voice here, is someone white telling me that. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? That's well, very complicated, right? right? But it's not it, what what you're saying is true. And this gets to my point, and I'm glad that we're doing this. I mean, this is the this is us modeling this. We're having the conversation. Yes. Right. Most people can't get this far in the conversation, right? And what I'm getting at is that here's 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 what needs to be said is that, and this doesn't need to make sense to you. This doesn't because it's new for white people is that when you say that this is about me too, I agree with that. But when you say it to me, there's also a part of me that goes, but what about all that time? Totally. What about all that time? And the thing is, it's not a time that isn't just in the past, but it's a time that's present for yeah. me. Yeah. And that pain is real. And that's what Van is speaking out of. Inappropriately, irresponsibly. He also has done a lot of responsible journalism and a lot of responsible storytelling where he's brought together people of different perspectives. He worked with an administration and with a conservative group that he didn't have, that he was, that he was protesting to get the first step back passed. He's been modeling this too. Mm. And has he also stepped into this other realm? So 
he's angry. Does he sound racist? Maybe he does to you. I, I don't know. You know, people ask that question all the time, like black people can't be racist. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've experienced, I've, I've experienced fear of white people. I don't know if I've experienced racism. You know, like I put people in a, like I, sometimes I'm like, I'm afraid of white people and what they can do to me or what they can withhold from me, you know, in places of power where that's important because power is a thing we have to consider if you're black because power was a thing that was asserted, right? And to the point of death and and um, and lack of opportunity, right? And and um, even with the Emancipation Proclamation and Juneteenth and all of that, no one ever delivered on forty acres and a mule, right? And I'm just supposed to trust white people, mm. right? I'm supposed to trust that equality is real equality when I bring you to the same table as me. That's very complicated. And it comes with a great deal of suspicion and I am a healthy skeptic and I will retain to be one until we are completely healed and through this. Yeah. Yeah. Which may not be until heaven. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, I know what, I know what you're saying about like, you know, you're like, okay, I, I agree, but then there's still something about like, well, but what about all this time that I felt misunderstood? And I, if, you know, I posted something like, if you think you saw it on my Instagram stories, like I understand you may not understand me. And well, that's on me. Like Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't understood. I, I don't, I don't assume to be understood, you know? Um, and so I, I get that statement and, uh, I think it goes back even to, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. Um, but just this idea that some, like sometimes I, when I'm, when I'm talking to people and normally talking to, you know, a lot of Arabs about everything that's going on, trying to give, you know, my, my kind of take on it. And I oftentimes, you know, find myself confused. Like, wait a minute, why, why am I saying, oh, you know, this this other police officer, seventy seven, David, uh, what's his name? Yeah, yeah, the black police officer in St. Louis. Yeah, why, why am I like, what is it about this right now that I have to qualify that he was black to make a a valid argument that these riots are hurting people, or qualify that? these stores that are burnt down are, are minority owned or quali- like the fact that people are doing, you know, putting BLM on, on their signs saying this is a black owned store. Like that seems like ev- it is the whole conversation is deeply and steeped um, in race that for some reason it's okay to destroy a white person's store. And, and, and I find it interesting like, like, wait a minute, something's the fact that, People are qualifying, just like, just like you said, the fact that me saying this as a white person versus you saying this as a black person versus right now in this context, you saying this as a black person carries more weight because it is a, a black issue in many ways in America, right? It's, it's a black issue right now in America, but, but no longer, and I'm not saying you're doing this, um, but on large, it seems like we're not, we're not basing things based on the, the, the efficacy or quality of our ideas, but it's based on the color of our skin and, and our identity. It's saying, well, I'm black. Well, well, that's a, I understand it's an important, even biblically, it's an important thing to know which, which tribe you're from, which nation you're from. Like there, that is part of our identity, but it's, as you pointed out earlier, it's one of many parts of your identity or my identity as 
whether it's as a pole or as a white person or American or or a male. So I, I, yeah. I find it interesting that and and I don't have like a yeah. point with it. It's more just I find it I find it interesting that we're we're saying that it's it it's interesting that it's evident that everything has come back down to race when we're when Martin Luther King himself said, I don't want to be judged for the color of my skin, but the but the the content of my character. And yet, and yet it seems right now that conversation is flipped to say the color of my skin is has supremacy over my character. And I am then also judged by the color of my skin in in this in this moment. Even then in, yeah. in the making of arguments that I'm making, I'm justifying my argument based on the color of someone's skin. Yeah. You know, I I I think it's an important part of the conversation. You I don't know? necessarily and, have a point with this, just more like a, a yeah, something no, that is. struck I me. think it's a, a, but I think it's an important part, an element of the conversation. From um I will I will volley back, you know, by yeah, saying please. two things. Um one is not surprising to me that black people are blowing up black businesses. It's actually not surprising to me. Why is that not surprising? It's, it's, I I wish it wasn't going on, but it's not surprising to me. Okay. And then I will tell you why it is not surprising to me. Um, And I'll start it with a personal anecdote, you know, mostly, um, You know, what is really important to, you know, for my friends to understand about me, one one of the core things, like if someone ever asked me, you know, tell me something about you that I wouldn't know. Tell me something about you that I wouldn't know, Brandon. Is that for most of my life and probably up until now, um, and I still go through this, I'm not even sure if I love or like my blackness. Mm. That's really sad. It is, isn't it? That makes me tear up for you as my friend. Yeah. Like there isn't, I've spent so much time trying to be other than that in order to be seen, right? To qualify, right? Be smarter, work harder, look for the opportunity, hope that someone gives you a chance, hope that someone doesn't judge you on the basis of your skin color. How many times I sat as a child and said, God, my life would be so much easier if I was just white as a child, so sad. I'm s- as a child, right now, take that and translate that hateness or that, that self-hatred of blackness, right? That's being clouded in a, we love blackness, right? Yeah. I think what's actually happening is that people hate it because of how hard it's been for them to be black. Right. And so psychologically we do lash out at things that are the closest to us, right? The things we actually love the most, we're so afraid that we can't actually, you know, now whether that's exactly how it's shaking out in the context of the protest, I don't know. Right. But no one's stopping long enough to say, Hey, wait a minute. It matters. Human life matters property matters it's all self-hatred and it's not only black people out there doing it uh, yeah this is everybody uh, yeah. out there is dealing with their own self-hatred 
you know, but taking on the ethos of black hatred of self. Right. That's a real thing that we're dealing with also. That is what the original sin caused was a question. Are we not valuable? Are we not beautiful? Is something wrong with me, inherently wrong? That's not an old, I had that thought today when I woke up. (laughs) Am I okay as a black, like, should I be, you know? But that's that's a real thing. That's that's how old it is. That's the conversation we're not having. That's what we want people to understand. That's what the pain is. And and to that, I would say, and this is, it's it's and that I would say, well that that and this is, I say this, this is going to sound contradictory, but let me finish my thought. That I would say, in the, in that case, you're right. This this has nothing to do with me. And now that that's not to say that, um, that oh well, I'm absolved from it. I'm not saying that I am I'm absolved from it in that way. But I'm saying in the in the uh, in the fact that you as an individual need that healing. And that you as an individual need that 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 I that identity. And that I feel is I don't I don't I almost just want to almost stop what I'm saying, but like that I feel like is so important to have. And I, I don't know what I'm saying, Brandon. I'm kind of lost for words, but I'm good. Really good. <laughs> really, it's shocking, isn't it? And it's and really that's grateful and that's, that you shared that with me. Yeah. Like that means means a lot that you would. Yeah. And I'm and I'm on my own journey here, of course. You know, um, I'm grateful. You know, to be spiritual and um, challenged. You know, to consider that. You know, I have examples. I've got amazing family examples of people that are amazing. People of color representation is super important. You know, for that. And then I also am the representation for so many. Yeah. You know, who are also trying to find value, you know, in their blackness and their color and their, you know, and, and the reason why that's important to find value in it is because it was devalued, right? You were devalued as a person because of color. Now it's, it's so imperative to know that you are valuable um, as colorful mm. <laughs> to, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, if someone judged you on it and it was improperly judged then there needs to be an inoculation against that, mm. you know? And um, so that there is an equality, right? And saying, hey, white is beautiful, black is beautiful, right? But that was never the, that was never equal. That's not, that, that, yeah. that's why I say the matter of, of the heart, it doesn't feel equally understood. Yeah. It feels equally protested and shouted, but is it equally believed, you know, within the black consciousness, as much as it is in, white America or or the white consciousness, you know, around the world, is that real? You know? And I would see it as being real because there are certain, like, like when it becomes real, there are certain things, you know, that are so, um, 
contributional, you know, from the Black ethos, right? Black African ethos, right? That's why we have such a range of things that we've contributed, you know, to American culture, but culture around the world, you know, and to still, and, and the, the, the reason why those cultural contributions exist, it's not just because of talent or gift, it's because of pain that has generated creativity and that creativity shows up in music and film, writing, poetry, not, you know, all of the things and ways in which we've contributed and, in, and, and integrated ourselves powerfully into culture around the world mm. comes from pain of this thing. Am I beautiful or not? Am I valued? And that question that still lingers has not been settled. Mm. And I think that hits the the heart of heart of it all, right? It's just that that's the the cry. You know, it's like all creation cries out and groans, right? Yeah. Um, and that I feel is you know, at, at the core, at the core of everything, I think the best um, hard analysis of what's happening. And as you said, you know, it's, it's, it's white people are out there too, that are, are, are filled with self-hatred for different reasons. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the, the core reason um, on a whole would be that, that we have forgotten and, and lost God. I understand there's there's that generational healing that we're talking about. There's those those generational trauma and wound, that, and that's real. But but on the whole, it's we have we have forgotten God, and we have lost our value values. We have lost morality. We have lost the the sanctity and the beauty of who we are as created in the image of God. And, and we've yeah. seen it in the dehumanization of, uh, through abortion. We've seen it through, you know, so many things that we look across uh, America society. And I, I think it, I've been thinking about this in some ways it's America is crying out because of the weight of, of sin on its heart. Yeah. And, and we, we need that. We need to know once more that we are loved sons and daughters of God knit together in our mother's womb, beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made. And that is the healing balm that you're speaking to. And that I can't Couldn't agree more. Couldn't I agree more. Fully with you. Couldn't agree more. But uh, we all need. I love you, Brandon. <laughs> we can end it here. I think okay. it's a beautiful place. And uh, honestly, just really thankful that you shared that with me and that we got here and and there in the conversation. Yeah. I love you. And this is thing we're, we're in deep brotherly friendship. Yeah. And this is that question. Where is your brother? You know where I am. I do. You know, I know where you are and that's the important part of it. We can't do confession well without connection. Mm. And if we don't do that well, we can't heal. That is all for this episode with Brandon Polk. I hope 
I hope that his words, that his story um, really cleared the the fog on some issues that are, are happening in America today, that we can we can see past systems, we can see past structures, we can see past uh, political, apolitical solutions, and we can we can all of us, no matter where we are in the world, can can look at our hearts and realize that that it's about our it's about knowing where our brothers and sisters are. It's about being in touch with with those around us, about having a relationship, being vulnerable in those relationships and having those those difficult conversations as we all move forward um, into the days, weeks, and months ahead of us, no, no matter where we are. You know, here in, in the Gulf, it, it has spurred so many groups and conversation, people talking about how how we can understand and begin to fight racism or biases or prejudices in our own communities. And, and I hope that you will take this, run with it, and realize it's not about necessarily the words that we say or we don't say, but it's about the condition of our hearts and, the, and, and seeing and connecting with the hearts of other people, our brothers and sisters, seeing our brothers and sisters around us. Until next time, I'm Lucas Grobot. You are a change maker, so go out and own the future.